Gentlelady's time has expired. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from Wisconsin. Mr. Tiffany, you're recognized for five minutes. Welcome, Secretary Holland. Uh, yesterday, the National Park Service Director Chuck Sams testified that $200 million from the Inflation Reduction Act for deferred maintenance had been transferred to the Presidio Trust at the direction of the Department of Interior's Assistant Secretary. Did you direct anybody in your senior leadership to tell the National Park Service Director to transfer $200 million in IRA funds to the Presidio Trust? Thank you so much for the question, and um, it was our understanding, um, Congressman, that that was the intent of Congress at the time, and so that is why we did that. So, um, actually, uh, Director Sams testified in regards to that point that you just made, that it did not follow the established process, that he understood it to be congressional intent that uh, despite the fact in the IRA that does not explicitly state this funding will be used for the Presidio, he understood it to be congressional intent. Yes, we understood it to be congressional intent. That is correct for the Presidio funding. So um, did you or anybody in senior leadership have conversations with Speaker Pelosi's office about this? No, I did not have any conversations with Speaker Pelosi's office, but we we understood it to be congressional intent. Um, we are we. I mean, these are public lands that belong to all Americans. We we want to do the best job possible. So, is Director Sam's lying to us? He said this was done at the direction of the Department of Interior's Assistant Secretary. That's what he said yesterday. Uh, no, he's, thank you for the question. And um, the assistant secretary, of course, is understood that it was, I'm, I'm not under, sure if I understand your question correctly, but we understood that it was congressional intent for this funding to go to the Presidio, which is um, public lands and belonging to every single American. Uh, and I believe that is how the assistant secretary but the language did not say it's explicitly uh, in the IRA. It does not explicitly state this funding shall be used for Presidio. How did, how did you know it was congressional intent then if it didn't explicitly say that? We, I, I, I mean, I'm ha we're happy to get back with you on any absolute specifics so why don't to we do, do with this issue. Sure. Sorry to interrupt. i got to move on to some other questions here. Um, I would really appreciate that. We want to do some follow-up on this because there's clearly two answers that are in conflict here. I will say this, though, uh, in conclusion in regards to this issue, is um, NPS to us stands for the National Park Service. Uh, we're very concerned that this has become Nancy's Park Service with a quarter of the funding for deferred maintenance going to one representative's district. One out of 435 got a quarter of the funding for deferred maintenance. What does that do to the rest of our national parks? Um, would you agree that in any good faith negotiation, it's important for all parties to know the fair value of what is at stake? You know, so when parties are negotiating that everything be on the table, right? Would you agree with that? I'm not, well, uh, in what respect, so Mr. Tiffany? If it, you want to make sure that all the information's on the table, and then you can have a good faith negotiation. That's generally too, true, would you agree? Sure. Yeah. So are you aware of the ongoing situation in my district between the Lacto Flambeau tribe and town residents? 
Uh, I am familiar with it, yes, uh, somewhat familiar. I've read several articles, and I know that um, our Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs went to uh, Wisconsin to speak with the tribe, and I know that uh, they've been working hard to get a resolution. Does the department the plan to release the appraisals for the four roads in question? Uh, I sent a letter on January 31st, and they won't release the appraisals. Are you going to plan release the appraisals? Thank you. Um, according to our solicitor, um, we are not at liberty to release those um, appraisals. Um, and of course, we follow so, the advice of our attorneys. And so. So, how do you have an, a negotiation that works in good faith if you can't have the appraisals out in front of you? I ask that as a rhetorical, uh, rhetorical question. Do you support? the tribe, and I would emphasize, this is the tribal council. There are many tribal members in Lac de Flambeau that do not agree with what happened here. Do you support the tribe putting barricades on the roads like they did at the end of January when it was 25 below? We had a record-setting winter uh, for snow, um, stranding 65 people. Do you support the, tr uh, the tribal council putting barricades on those roads when they went up? Congressman, um I know I don't need to tell you this, but we understand that, and, and I know you know this too, that the Lac de Flambeau is a sovereign Indian nation, and uh, we don't actually have, uh, we can't mandate that they do, do anything or not do anything. Uh, but what we have done is we've worked to try to resolve the issue. And uh, as I mentioned, Assist Assistant Secretary Newland went to the tribe uh, to see how we could assist in, in moving a resolution to the issue, and I know that we all want it to be resolved. I would just close with this, Mr. Chairman. The um, Lacta Flambeau tribal chairman was here just a month ago before the Appropriations Committee, and he said the Bureau of Indian Affairs has failed both the tribe and the local community. His words, not mine. I'm hoping the Bureau of Indian Affairs will get their act together on this issue. I yield back. When the time has expired, the chair recognizes the gentleman from California. Mr. Levin, you're recognized for five minutes. I thank my friend, uh, Chairman Westman, and I thank my friend, Secretary Holland. It is wonderful to uh, welcome you back here to the House Natural Resources Committee. Uh, thank you for all your leadership. So important to uh, provide that sustained funding for the Department of Interior for all the critical initiatives that you've got, helping protect our public lands, promoting domestic clean energy production, providing outdoor recreation, and responsibly managing managing our Western water resources, which are more important than ever. I want to start off by uh, discussing the importance of reforming our federal oil and gas leasing program in order to promote the responsible stewardship of our nation's natural resources. Uh, last year, we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, and it made historic and much-needed changes to the federal onshore oil and gas leasing program based on provisions of a bill that I had introduced, the Restoring Community Input and Public Protections in Oil and Gas Leasing Act. Specifically, the IRA ended non-competitive leasing for oil and gas sales, raising annual rental rates, and increasing the minimum bid for public lands. All those changes were very overdue, very common sense, and create more balance for bringing federal lands in line with what states and private landowners are already charging. And even after the IRA, states like Texas and Oklahoma still charge higher royalty rates on, their on, on the state lands than are charged on the federal lands. And according to Taxpayers for Common Sense, this is not some left-wing group, it's not a right-wing group, it's Taxpayers for Common Sense. What we did in the IRA will not raise prices at the pump or consumer energy prices. I'll say that again, will not raise prices at the pump or consumer energy prices. We've got that independent analysis if anyone wants to see it. But it will raise hundreds of millions of dollars in additional revenue 
that could go towards all sorts of things uh, like infrastructure improvements that'll benefit everybody, not just a handful of oil and gas companies. So Secretary Holland, with that as a background, from your perspective, how will the reforms from the IRA improve the return for taxpayers on our public lands? Thank you so much for the question, and thank you for your, um, for your work in this area. Of course, um, I don't have to say this. Um, the climate crisis is, is, is upon us, and whatever we can do, every tool in the toolbox that we can use to, um, to move our clean energy forward, um, that is good for our land, it's good for our people, and um, we'll, we're happy to always work with you, Congressman, to um, move, to restore the balance that we need to our public lands. Thank you, and, and uh, as a follow-up, I understand that BLM has drafted proposed rules to implement the changes uh, in the IRA, specifically around oil and gas leasing. Those are currently at the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. Uh, just wanted to get the current status of those regulations and, and when we might be able to expect to see proposed rules uh, published. Thank you so much. The draft regulation is under review, and we hope to have the proposed rule published this summer. We're, we'll ha we're happy to stay in touch about that. Excellent. Look forward to that. In, uh, in addition to making clear about how the reforms will be implemented, uh, the rulemaking represents an important opportunity for BLM to look to the future and further improve uh, the onshore oil and gas leasing program. Uh, will the regulations that are currently pending describe how the Department of the Interior intends to evaluate and adjust the royalty rate, rental rate, and minimum bid in the years after the 10-year period that's specified in the IRA? Um, Congressman, um, what I can say about this issue is that it's really important to ensure that American Americans, who these public lands belong to, get a fair return for the resources that are on those lands. Um, every American owns every piece of public land, uh, so it's important for us to uh, make sure that we're doing the best we can for the American people. Well, we certainly appreciate that, Secretary. Very grateful to your commitment, to the commitment of uh, the professionals at Interior and BLM for uh, responsibly implementing these common sense reforms that we made in the Inflation Reduction Act. And I urge the administration to expedite this regulatory process so that the IRA's reforms are durable, clear, and fully protective of the American taxpayer, and so that they promote the conservation of our public lands. And I, I thank the Secretary, and I'll yield back. The gentleman yields back. The chair recognizes the gentleman from Alabama. Mr. Carl, we recognize for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Madam Secretary, thank you for being here today. In your testimony earlier, you said interior programs are important to the national economy, generating jobs, supporting local economy growth, building res uh, uh, residual, uh, uh, residual changes to our climate, and managing important resources. I must say, everything I've seen from your department says just the opposite. And I stand to differ with you on that one. How can you claim in your testimony you believe that the interior programs are important to this nation, economy, and jobs to our local economy when the actions that have been taken are just the opposite? We, I feel that we have done an excellent job of ensuring that uh, we include local communities in, in the value of our public lands. Let me ask you another quick question. 
Can you give me a simple yes or no answer? Does, does Met Coal, is it exempt from coal leasing moratoriums? Congressman, I know how important this... Um, yes or no, ma'am. That's all I'm looking for. I, I want That's all you, I'm looking for, I yes or no. I want you to know that um, the BLM has made me aware of how important this issue is it, to you. I'm glad you got someone to talk to you because I've called your department numerous times. I can't get phone calls returned. I've been from Bruce sitting right beside you. I've called him twice. I've left him four messages through other people. I finally got one of your staff to call me back. And when you can't get the own staff from these departments to call back a congressman, ma'am, that is wrong. What does that tell me? That tells me they're not interested in hearing my voice or anything I have to say. So pardon me if I seem a little edgy this morning, but I, I think... I think this is well out of your control. I don't think you've got a control on what's going on here. I've got a permit from this company laying on someone's desk, 98% completed. It is a Met coal project. It should be already released. It should have been processed. It should be, we should have the thousand people on the ground working at this day. But I can't get your staff to return a phone call, and I can't get you to tell me if Met coal is 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 not part of that coal moratorium. So I, how do you think we feel in this country when we're dealing with, with bureaucrats just like this? And it goes on for months and years. This is two and a half years this process has been going on. Congressman, I'm going to make sure that somebody calls you back, and I apologize that your calls haven't been returned. But we'll make sure that we do that very soon. Last time we met here, you and I had a conversation. You were going to call me back on, on a meeting down in the Gulf Coast. I've yet to hear from a soul, not one person. So, ma'am, your words don't carry a lot of faith in me. So I would appreciate, if you would, give me the courtesy of having someone to give me a call. Your department has become this huge forest fire, and you're consuming everything you touch. You're burning it up. This, this, is, this is coming from constituents and businesses that are trying to run their businesses. This company is not even in my district, and I'm fighting for them. You know why? Because these are Alabama jobs. These are people that, that, that are related to the people mm -hmm. that live in my district. But it's important that our people and our districts believe in the federal government. When they get to a point that they're scared to death of us, that's when we, we quit. We have failed them. We need to go home. We need to start over. We need to fire people and get some people that actually know how to return a phone call. I'm a salesman. I may call you and give you bad news, but I will return your phone call. That's for sure. So I'm asking you, please do something. Just don't pay lip service to, to get crippled through this meeting. Then I don't hear anything till next year. I think your budget is bloated. I think it's being, being misused in, 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 the, in the wrong places. And, and I think you know that. I think you're sitting here trying to avoid that from some of your answers. I'm watching your body language. I'm a salesman. I read bodies. I'm real good at that. And you're a nervous wreck, and I appreciate that. I'm sorry. And, and I would be too. But you've got to get control of your people around you, ma'am. I'm telling you, because you've got people that have got an agenda that does not fit what this country needs. And with that, Mr. Chairman, I turn back to you. Gentleman yields back. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from California. Mr. Huffman, you're recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and welcome back, Madam Secretary. It's always great to see you. Um, you've already received several questions from the other side of the aisle about the great uncertainty in the fossil fuel industry uh, due to this administration's policies. You know, despite 
the climate crisis, um, they appear to be worried about the poor oil companies who are rolling in record profits that they have squeezed out of U.S. consumers at the expense of the planet. Madam Secretary, I'm worried about a different kind of uncertainty, uh, that uncertainty that is being experienced by young people all over America about whether they'll have a livable planet, about whether they should even think about bringing children into the world, given what the science tells them is coming if we don't much more rapidly decarbonize. And as grateful as I am for the major steps forward on climate action we have taken under this administration, I think you know how I feel about the business as usual for the fossil fuel industry that continues to take place under this administration, particularly the willow carbon bomb, which I believe was a terrible decision. But as strongly as I disagree with those things, I do want to acknowledge how refreshing it is to have you as the Secretary of Interior. Uh, for too long, um, for decades really, we have allowed a very corrupt revolving door to exist at Interior where people make lots of money in special interests that profit from our public lands and public resources, then spend a little time at Interior and then monetize that going through the other side of the revolving door. Your predecessor was the poster child for that. Uh, but you are there for the right reasons, uh, and I'm glad, like the ranking member said, uh, I'm glad you're there. I'm proud uh, of your public service. I was going to ask you about permitting, but uh, Representative Dingell beat me to it. Uh, we know that the main reason for delay in upgrading transmission lines and bringing clean power online is the lack of agency resources that are preventing us from speeding up environmental reviews and permitting processes, and we have put significant funds on the table through the Inflation Reduction Act. The only thing I will add to the discussion you had with Representative Dingell on that uh, is that it's critically important for offshore wind, and you visited my district and we got to talk about a very exciting offshore wind project in Humboldt County. Thank you for that. And the, the auction was very successful. We're excited to bring that and all the jobs that are gonna come with it online. But transmission is gonna be the big bottleneck. and so. Uh, maybe even more important than the offshore wind project itself, getting the transmission upgraded uh, is the key. And I thank you for uh, what I know will be your very focused attention on that. I want to move to the Central Valley Project Improvement Act. Um, last December, you rescinded a terrible uh, Trump administration decision that concluded that environmental restoration uh, in areas harmed by the Central Valley Project was deemed complete so that your predecessor's former clients no longer had to pay a CVPIA restoration surcharge. Uh, that is an indefensible conclusion. You can certainly look at the struggling fish and wildlife um, in the Central Valley Project watershed. You can look at the struggling wildlife refuges. Uh, and you did the right thing by reversing that, and I wanna thank you for that. Um, you found there was no basis for it, and you instructed the Bureau of Reclamation to collect the full mitigation and restoration charges owed. Uh, Representative Porter and I have previously written to you expressing our concern about how Reclamation is doing cost accounting for that. Um, the way they're doing it would appear to shift hundreds of millions of dollars in environmental compliance costs from Central Valley Project contractors to federal taxpayers. And so I just want to ask you, um, what progress are we making in properly allocating 
and collecting the hundreds of millions of dollars owed by Central Valley Project contractors to get this situation right? Thank you, Congressman. Um, Reclamation will continue to collect the required mitigation and restoration charges from water and power contracts as directed by law. And they will also continue to take actions to support restoration and enhancement of the Central Valley Project's natural environment. Can we get an update, though, on the specific cost accounting? A absolutely. I'll, I'll ask um, Camille's team to give your office a call um, shortly. I appreciate um, that. And Congressman, if I could say something very quickly about the transmission lines. Um, earlier this year, we broke ground on the 10 West transmission line in Arizona for, it was for solar power uh, in the middle of the desert. Lots of solar panels there. Um, and the reason that went through so quickly and so well is because the BLM director in Arizona uh, really made sure that all the stakeholders had a say from the very start of the project moving forward. So we feel like that is a great model for moving things expeditiously through. We agree with you. And so we're, this transition, it's happening now. And so we're, we are learning best ways to cut time on these things and uh, suspect that um, future projects will be as expeditious as this one and will work to even make them faster. But thank, thank you, Madam you. Secretary. Thank you. Yield back. Gentlemen's time has expired. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from California. Mr. Duarte, you're recognized for five minutes. Hello, Madam Secretary, thank you for being here today. Um, from California is no secret, I'm from the Central Valley. It's no secret that we've got our share of water problems, too little and too much here recently. Um, we've got historic levels of rain and the other, other years we have hardships of drought. Um, a lot of the precious water resources we have in both wet and dry years are being flushed out to the ocean to restore uh, salmon habitat, re re restore salmon and the Delta smelt. Um, we've been doing this for several decades now, 40 years and 20 years of, of maximum flows that have depleted our groundwater, destroyed irrigated landscapes. Um, we've got agricultural removal. We've got food costs coming. In the South Valley, we've got respiratory illness and pediatric respiratory illness and um, very disadvantaged communities at levels we've never seen before. We're, we're literally creating a dust bowl with some of these practices. Um, how are you measuring success? How are you committed to measuring success? And do you have a program to take a look at some of these uh, fish flows through the Delta and um, compare them to their negative impacts and, and give us kind of a cost-benefit analysis and maybe adjust them? Thank you so much for the question. And um, any specific details, of course, we're happy to follow up with your office on that. But what I can say is that um, Camille Tootin, our reclamation commissioner, who I hope you've had an opportunity to um, speak with at some point, um, t t takes all of these things very seriously. We know that a lot of folks are mis have the misconception that the, the drought is over, but we know well, that... Well, no, I'm, I mean, sorry, ma'am, but, Madam Secretary, but the, the facts are pretty clear. We've been flushing very, very large, gargantuan amounts of our precious water out to the ocean since the early 90s to attempt to restore salmon and, re and restore delta smelt. I mean, I hope this is on your radar, on your, on your personal radar. I mean, California is a huge food resource for, for America and for the world. 
Um, it's a, my district's in a very economically disadvantaged. It's a voting rights act district. It's you know 80% Hispanic, lots of farm workers out of work. Mm -hmm. I really hope that as secretary, um, that you would take personal interest in the really abject failure of the of the fish flows programs for both the salmon and the smelt. And at, at this point in your in your service, have at least some. Uh, some large bullet points of, of how you would criticize this and how you hope to improve it. And we'll talk about forests next because that's another abject failure in single species um, management for restoration and, and our forests are overgrown and burning all the same. So please tell me you've got California on your radar personally and explain to me even, even in a pixelated way what, what you intend to do to, to criticize what you're doing and either defend it or, or change it. Thank you. I appreciate the question. What I was going to get to was the fact that uh, with all of this water, we do store as much as possible. Uh, Reclamation has a program where they're recharging groundwater, so a lot of, of irrigators have taken advantage of that program, and there have been millions of acre feet that have um, you, been used to recharge sure. the groundwater. So we're working uh, we have conversations with folks on the ground in in all of those areas. Let me um, let me add to that, please. Um, California water infrastructure hasn't been added to significantly in forty years. We haven't. If you take kind of a a top list, build Auburn, raise Shasta, put in Temperance Flat, put in sites, all the big water projects that could really move the needle in terms of California flood control habitat restoration, agriculture, housing affordability, water sustainability is housing affordability. It would be about $12 billion. California has a $3.6 trillion annual GDP. So for 0.3, for one third of 1% of California's annual GDP, we could catch ourselves up with two or three generations worth of water infrastructure and solve the environmental pressures, solve the flood control pressures, solve the economic pressures, as well as the human health and welfare pre um, pressures in the Central Valley. And I, I really wish I could hear some details from you, if not now in the future, of how you intend to make it happen. We've put HR1 through to get NEPA reform that will allow these projects to go forward in a reasonable manner, meaning not 40 years with no progress, and, and I'm hoping that, that you'll be a full partner. It's not very much money when we look at the overall economy of California, and we're hoping you'll partner in making this happen. Thank we're, you. We're absolutely happy to work with you. Thank you, Congressman. Gentlemen, as time has expired, the chair now recognizes the gentleman uh, from California. Uh, Mr. Mullen, you're recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Extreme weather events like the atmospheric rivers that my district in California has been seeing for the last several months are expected to increase in frequency and severity as a result of climate change. Subsequently, the flooding, sea level rise, and other damage to private and public pro property as a result of these events will also increase. As severe weather events become more frequent and dangerous, low-income homeowners will continue to rely on federal, uh, federal assistance in recovering after disasters, but often lack resources to properly weatherize their homes to get in front of these kinds of events. So the process of establishing defensible space to protect from wildfires and natural land management solutions to protect from sea level rise and flooding is increasingly expensive. 
So my question, Madam Secretary, is how can Congress and DOI uh, best support these kinds of resilience and weatherization efforts, uh, particularly for uh, lower income homeowners who may not have the means uh, to be uh, um, hardening those homes and getting ready for what is to come with these extreme weather events? Thank you very much for the question. And we recognize that um, it's the communities who can least afford the change that, that are forced to change. And that's uh, true with so many native communities on the coast in Alaska and in, uh, across the West Coast. But at DOI, our focus with regard to these communities has been assistance with climate-driven relocations um, for tribes, forest management for wildfire, and ecosystem restoration to build more resilience from drought and disasters. In 2022, Interior committed $115 million for 11 communities to support community-driven relocation. Three tribes um, with shovel-ready plans. Um, we're also, um, we, we're focused on these communities. Um, uh, in, in addition, the budget includes $63 million for the USGS Coastal and Marine Hazards Program, uh, and that will leverage field research, high-resolution data and modeling uh, to help these communities um, and Happy to give you a, a full um, accounting of of how we're doing our best to help those communities. Great. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Yield back my remaining time to Ranking Member Grijalva. Among the many investments that prioritized in the Inflation Reduction Act including $200 million for deferred maintenance at the Presidio of San Francisco, a unit of the National Park Service owned and operated by Presidio Trust. And it's accurate that the Presidio Trust is intended to be financially self-sufficient. However, it is not eligible for funding under the Great American Outdoors Act, and it requires some assistance to deal with the lingering effects of the pandemic. It's a, it's a clear need to support a national park unit that belongs to all Americans. Um, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle shouldn't be surprised by this allocation. We debated and voted nearly two dozen of their amendments right here in this committee during the discussion of the IRA. So attacks on this investment are misguided, they're misplaced, and we should treat this uh, public unit as we do with any shared heritage and history in the Park Service, and with that, I yield back. And without objection, the documents accepted to the record. Uh, the gentleman from California yield back. The gentleman yields back. The chair now recognizes uh, the gentleman from Montana. Mr. Rosendale, you're recognized for five minutes. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, welcome, Secretary Holland. Uh, trust in government is paramount if our system is to work. Transparency is a main component establishing that trust. I just really appreciate the representative from California uh, raising the issue of corruption and self-enrichment on the back of taxpayers. So my first question to you is, could you tell me when you plan to fulfill the January 2nd FOIA request from Protect the Public's Trust about communication between DOI and BLM and your daughter in reference to lobbying efforts and activities involving your daughter and members of your staff and the protests which turned into a riot at interior headquarters, which seems to have, uh, your daughter has participated in. Thank you, Mr. Rosendale. Um, we have career staff who handle all of our FOIA requests. 
they, we get thousands and thousands of FOIA requests, so I recognize that they all can't be attended to immediately, but uh, they will get to those FOIA requests in a timely manner. Um, no offense, Madam Secretary, but it has been six months' time since, or nearly six months' time since that request has gone out, and what is being requested is electronic documents that certainly can be transferred and shared very easily. And we're not talking about anything of a national security issue where mm -hmm. people have to go back through and evaluate it. So when, uh, why is it taking us so long to uh, generate these documents on such a sensitive subject where I would think that you would want it to be public to show that you are a good, transparent public servant? Thank you, Mr. Rosendale. Of course, ethics is incredibly important to me as it is to my entire team at DOI. Uh, there it is, is and it's not only the, the fact and the, and the actions that take place, Secretary, mm -hmm. but it's also the perception of, the perception of, and this is what helps us build our pillars for the trust in our government. So again, what is taking so long and when can we anticipate those documents being provided? Thank you. Uh, as I mentioned, there's career staff who handle all the FOIA requests. Uh, they have a process. Uh, I will, um, I will Make Thank sure you. I would appreciate if you would go back and see if we could not make that a priority. Thank you. Uh, re recently, you have a proposed plan to guide the balanced management of public lands, a new rule that has come out. And within that, uh, this tool has the potential, and I'm taking it directly from BLM document. The tool has the potential to expand opportunities to accelerate restoration of big game migration corridors or establish carbon markets for example, and directly responds to comments from state and industry partners on the need for a reliable path on public lands on which to pursue compensatory mitigation to facilitate development projects. Those lands are governed by the Taylor Grazing Act, which is a law, not a rule. An act to stop, and which, which the Taylor Grazing Act specifies, an act to stop injury to the public grazing lands by preventing overgrazing and soil deterioration to provide for their orderly use, improvement, and development to stabilize the livestock industry dependent upon the public range. By what authority do you propose a rule which is in such conflict with the law? Congressman, I, uh, I want to assure you that um, it, it's our job to follow the law in everything that we do. And um, So why would you propose a rule then, a rule change that is in such clear contrast with the law, uh, especially after we've just seen the U.S. Supreme Court recently decided in West Virginia versus the EPA that Congress, not agencies, had the final authority based upon the major questions doctrine. The, um, Congressman, the public lands rule is, is currently under public comment. It's not final yet, and so we'll get all those public comments in and be able to incorporate those. I things. understand that it is under consideration right now, and I assure you I will be providing extensive comments against this, but what I'm asking is why would you propose a rule change that is in such clear contrast with the law that is already in place when we have just had a recent decision from the Supreme Court that says Congress, not the agency, has the final authority. Congressman, the proposed rule um, that is under public comment now and is not final, uh, it really does just work to put conservation and other uh, public lands are multi-use. 
It's putting all of those uses on equal footing. Thank you very much. Well, they're not supposed to be on equal footing, and we need to abide by the law, not the rule, and I will be submitting those comments, and hopefully they are incorporated. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. Chair now recognizes the gentlelady from New Mexico, Ms. Ledger Fernandez. You're recognized for five minutes. Thank you so much, uh, Chair Westerman and Ranking Member Grijalva and Secretary Holland. You know, I can't be more grateful to have you here with us today to share your expertise. You know, what we are really seeing across the country is that you have elevated trust in our federal agency, especially after there had been such decimation of the personnel in the Department of Interior. And if we don't have the people to do the job, they can simply not do what is needed to protect our public lands and our public resources. I'm very grateful that you constantly remind us that these resources that are being, uh, whether they're being taken out of the ground or you know, pumped up or uh, solar or wind, right? Those resources are public resources. They belong to every single citizen, and we have an obligation to make sure that the full American public benefits from the uh, exploitation of those resources. You're a champion for our rural and tribal communities, for natural and cultural resources, and for our beautiful country and planet. Thank you for that. I wanna talk about some of the really great progress that we are seeing from the bipartisan infrastructure law. Uh, especially, let's touch a little bit about something that really impacts uh, states around, uh, not not just New Mexico, but also stakes in Louisiana and Pennsylvania and many other places, and that is the Orphan Rail cleanup. Uh, it included $4.7 billion to clean up orphan rails, consistent with my Orphan Rails Cleanup and Jobs Act. Uh, we just awarded an additional $560 million spread across 24 states to ramp up that plugging and cleanup efforts. Uh, but we keep finding more and more abandoned rails. And we know that cleaning up these abandoned rails creates jobs in those local communities, which is also key. Uh, Mr. Chair, I'd like to place into the record a recent Washington Post article titled, There Could Be Millions of Abandoned Rails in the U.S. Plugging Them is a mo Monumental Task. Ordered. Thank you. Secretary Holland, uh, I think we are very concerned in D.C. about two major fiscal issues. One is the impending crisis that is only a crisis if we do not raise the debt limit. It's normally done on a regular basis. Uh, it is a made-up crisis that may, we might be taken to that brink. But the other piece is the proposed cuts to our agencies, to what Americans need to get the job done. Could you tell me if they had the proposed cuts that uh, Republicans have uh, talked about, what would that do to our ability to clean up orphaned rails? Congresswoman, thank you so much for the question. And uh, I first just like to say that right now there, uh, there are uh, over 10,000 well sites now that are in the process of being uh, plugged. That's on state and private land. So um, we recognize how important this is uh, to the future of our country. Of course, reduction of the historic funding from the bipartisan infrastructure law for orphan well cleanup would be a, a very large mistake for all the reasons that you mentioned. And above those, uh, one of the most important is that the jobs that, th that this program creates. 
Um, I know that um, fun this funding is already making a tremendous uh, difference on the ground. I was recently in Texas where there was an orphan well that was actually bubbling up oil. And, uh, and so these are, these are places that we know um, we, we can clean up. Legacy pollution is, is really um, a problem for many issues, but um, I'm grateful that President Biden has seen the value in cleaning up uh, these mistakes of our past. Thank you. And another area that I'm very concerned about is the, the uh, proposed cuts, what that would do uh, uh, to the Bureau of Indian Education or also to the law enforcement. You have pointed out that right now the uh, law enforcement is funded at maybe 17% of need. And the budget cuts would uh, perhaps reduce uh, the number of law enforcement in an area that is already underserved, as well as teachers in the Bureau of Indian Education. Can you just touch quickly on what the proposed budget cuts would do for law enforcement? So as we are making sure that we have better law enforcement in Indian country, as well as teachers, uh, can you touch quickly on that? Because I'm running out of time. Congresswoman, um, of, all the, of all the issues that tribes bring to us, law enforcement is one of the top issues that they, that we, they are struggling with and therefore we're struggling with it. Um, if, the, if the budget cuts go through, we could lose 1,500 tribal law enforcement personnel. That's tribal law enforcement officers plus the per support personnel. Uh, and it could also lead to 500 fewer teachers. There would also be delay in BIE school repairs and the building of schools for so children. So these are real budget cuts that are going to impact people in their safety and in their ability to teach our children. Thank you very much, Madam Secretary. I yield back.